Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me, as always, is Eitan, and neither of us have good microphones this week, sorry. <laughs> and I was going to say, I was going to ask if you were going to say we're two media strategy nerds and their family, this egg was developing more of entertainment, <laughs> because I'm, I mean, I think we're both, but I'm in my family's, like, summer house outside of Mexico City, and both the three families are here. So my grandma, her three daughters, and like seven grand- grandkids. So you'll hear throughout the episode all the way from like one-year-olds, my 29-year-old brother or my 92-year-old grandma come in and be like, hey, what are you doing? So if you hear things in the background, this is a family. I was Maybe we could call it like the PG episode because it's a family episode. Maybe it doesn't mean the topics are family, you know? Yeah, anyway. Hey, Carl, how are you? You're also in your family's house. <laughs> I am good. I think I have been able to carve away some space in my former bedroom, though Alex and I are staying in the basement now because there's not space for both of us in this bedroom. So it's all different, all changing. I'm working right now. My sister is working right now. Alex is working, but she doesn't have to be online live on Zoom. So mm-hmm. It's interesting, but my dad is off, my mom is off, so it's it's good. We're having a, a good time so far. We got in earlier this week, and yeah, just trying to ease into Christmas, trying to slow down, not think about anything, and then mm-hmm. get fresh for the new year. That was very nice. 2022. You saw, you saw that online, right? That 2022 is spelled 2022. Feels the same. Yeah. If you close your eyes, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, obviously, 2020 was awful, but 2021 wasn't much better. So maybe 2022 might be a little better than 2021. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, <laughs> that's a good segue because uh, even though we're going to spend most of the time talking movies and box office and things we've seen, speaking of things that feel like they haven't changed in the past couple of years, uh, crypto and blockchain. Uh, I was talking with someone the other day. Like, oh, that crypto coming! I'm like, I, I've been hearing that since 2014. I'm all in for innovation. It sounds great. I know it's not my jam, and that it might mean that I'm gonna lose on a lot of things. However, it still feels like 20, whatever, 14. I mean, I feel like when we started business school and we met each other in 2018, people were already saying like, well, it's been four years or it's been five years. Apart from the value of speculative investing in the coins what is being done but i guess today we're going to touch on things that actually seem to be or that people are trying to do at least with web3 and well nfts i guess <laughs> anyway with that 30 second introduction i think people know where i stand yeah okay so look guys <laughs> we we were really trying to think about what to do in this episode and yes, it's going to be another box office and Disney episode. We saw West Side Story together. We were thrilled with that. Disney's dominating the box office, which is good and very bad. But we we talk about this way too much at this point in the year because, I don't know, this has been the first good movie season in a minute. That's why we kind of started the show is because of our love of this stuff and of the media business. And the, the media business has been a little slower right now with with deals and craziness but we've, we felt like we needed to talk about something outside of the the wheelhouse so <laughs> yes we're talking about square and block which is a what three four week news item mm-hmm. at this point but so. our recording schedule slash talking too much about movies has precluded us from talking about this but yeah jack dorsey left twitter as ceo he stepped back he's now fully focused on square and block which well Square is the payments company that he had that purchased title and is now a blockchain company called Block. I get that all right? You got that right. I mean, they still do payments, but they're expanding to explore other applications of the blockchain. Which I'm also, again, going back to my cynicism. And again, guys, if you love crypto, I'm sure Carl and I are not the podcast for you. Because I think we understand it, of course, beyond the surface. But... I sense my senses, and let me know if this is fair with you, but at least with me. The blockchain concept excites me, and there are a lot of values that excite me about it. But when I look at the implementation and the execution, 
it's still not what those values are. It's not decentralized. It's still owned by like anyway. So just to say, yeah, you might you might be rolling your eyes at us right now. But when I think about Square and Block, right, when he says we're going to move into the blockchain company, the first thing is like, okay, we are a huge payment platform. This is what we do. We sell hardware to process credit cards and we process payments. Are they going to try to do it with crypto? Probably not, right? These coins are just way, way too expensive, way too volatile. Sorry. And that was, of course, my first reaction. And and I also wanted to counter. This is also not really a three, um, three week old topic because Jack Dorsey took to Twitter or his other company yesterday to tweet, and I'm gonna quote here because he started dunking on VCs. You don't own Web three. The VCs and their limited partners do. It will never escape their incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Know what you're getting into? Ellipsis. End quote. I'm trying to figure out or find a tweet that I really love that summarized Web3, which we, we keep using Web3 because this is the buzzword that just kind of emerged from the ether over the last six months. Web3 being this equal to Web 2.0, which is, there's the famous Time magazine cover that you were the person of the year because you were generating content on the internet. It's the first time where content and websites became truly interactive and postable, and you have YouTube, Facebook, whatever, emerge from the Web 2.0 suite of technologies. So Web3 is the next generation, which is all built around being quote-unquote decentralized, built on quote-unquote trust mm -hmm. and uh aaron levy is a, is a person i really respect as a ceo he's the ceo of box founder of box and he's generally a good dude he's pretty skeptical mm -hmm. and he's also one of the few ceos that's not obsessed with growth he just wants to run box as a company that does storage and cloud really well and continues evolving and has their corner of the market and is happy with that. And he, I think he's always a very sage person on this. And, and his take, which I generally agree with, is these are really powerful, interesting technologies that are just used, being used by the worst people for the worst things. I like that. I agree also with the, with the comment about him. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know, to your point about Web3, right? The concept sounds good. But it's also like, what does that mean, right? That is decentralized. When yeah. people say the internet is not decentralized, like, okay, why not? Like, oh, there is this couple of companies or the way the the storage works or the way the, the DNS servers and the naming and whatever works. There are a couple of companies that control everything. I'm like, okay, and how does Web3 work? Right? No. Everyone is running on NVIDIA. Okay, interesting. So hardware is still kind of the same. Uh, there is so much market incentives to mine currently. So there was this, I think this is like two days old. 27% of the crypto worth is owned by 0.01% of the users. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, again, I, I know we're, I'm coming across as super skeptical. But it's one of those things that I, I want to believe. I truly do. Like, these values of decentralization and sound great. But they have to be more than buzzwords, right? The, the, the things have to reflect it. The types of incentives or of how these things should run efficiently are exactly the same that we're facing right now. And also, when, when we web through it, it's like, okay, what are you solving? I was talking with a friend the other day about blockchain, right? It's like, oh, but you know, we've if these, uh, you know, if you did a ticketing system instead of Ticketmaster, it could be centralized and the fees would be lower. And it's like, okay, the blockchain transaction rate is limited. It would be super slow. Like, would you actually want to do that? Or like, you know, people talk about this other, whatever other use case. Like, well, but in that other use case, um, I remember, what is the issue with the existing one? It's already very fast. It's already very cheap. Mm -hmm. Why would you change? And that's always, I think, where where I get lost. And I know if if I if we even tweet the word crypto or Web three from our handles, we're gonna get swamped with explanations. Um, but I think that's where I am. I'm I kind of like, 
I've been following, I have one Ethereum, I can disclose that in the honor of transparency. Uh, but it's still like, I want to see, I want, I, I want blockchain to solve a problem better than something that exists today. Better, faster, more efficiently, cheaper, whatever. Look, I, in case any of our business school compatriots are, are listening, we're not digging the speculative value of crypto and of <laughs> right. Web3 assets. If I had, like, okay, if I had not just gotten married, moved across the country, and been unemployed for a year, and I had a bunch of liquidity laying around, I would totally throw it at crypto because it's pretty solid ROI in aggregate. If you diversify your holdings enough, you make sure you're finding things that will have a buyer in the short term, you're fine. I, we're not saying that that's wrong. And beyond that, you're absolutely right. Like The market forces here, we're everyone's incentivized to buy into the big lie about crypto being valuable from a technical perspective and democratizing and better for the future of artists and everything, because that's how you keep the speculative asset going. It absolutely makes sense for institutional investors and VC to pump money into this because it makes a really quick buck. And no matter what, they're probably going to get ahead financially on this. Absolutely makes sense as an investment strategy, not digging that. But like, you cannot look at me straight faced and tell me that this is actually good for artists, good for creators. Like, it's good sure, for the environment. People wanna... Yeah. Like, if you want to sell trading cards that, virtual trading cards that look like rejected Gorillaz album covers, absolutely. Be my guest. Sure. Make money on that. That's fine. You have the right to do that. But you're not making it. The mission of decentralization. And the mission of we're also letting artists control through like super powerful DRM who's owning this, that those cannot coexist simultaneously, especially when anybody can announce that their DRM is mm -hmm. the right DRM. And there's very little way of controlling it. Everyone's anonymous because of the nature of this design. And there's no way of enforcing this from a centralized authority. Unfortunately, it's not right. possible. And it's draining the environment at, at the same time. Yeah, and I to that point about the creators, I go back to the. Again, I'm gonna simplify things a lot, but how can these things be? Are how are they better than YouTube or Spotify? Right, you Carl today can record a video, have it on YouTube, making money for you in an hour. Same in Spotify. Is it gonna make very little money if nobody knows you? Sure. Are the guys at the yeah. top that everyone knows gonna make a ton of money? Sure. But that is exactly what's happening with the NFTs, right? You see the ones that are huge. I'm sure there are some middle layers there, but again, how is that better for creators? Oh, you don't have to give a call to Spotify and YouTube? Oh, sure, here you're giving a call to whoever is mining and keeping track of the DRMs. Is it less? Okay. What, what, what is better? Oh, you're not trusting Google or Spotify to hold it for you? Well, you're trusting this other thing mm -hmm. to hold it for you. And to your point, it can also be replicated. And I don't know. We still live, I feel, also in the... <laughs> Maybe this is where, that, where that's going. Where we still live in this world of uh, laws and regulation. And at the end of the day, YouTube can be like, yeah, there is this copyright based on whatever that I'm going to enforce if somebody else tries to use it somewhere else. We're here is like, well... There is this other type of network that sold the same dunk from LeBron James that I had bought, and that one says that they are. And now the NBA is going to have to go buy fight whoever. I, I don't know. And look, the I think the analog a lot of people would want to push for this is we're trying to come up with a a merge of musicians in the '60s sell a record. They also sell broadcasting rights for the radio, but let's ignore that. <laughs> let's ignore how they made they, more of their they, most of their money. Yes, exactly. They sell a record. Somebody owns the record, and then forty years from now, Carl can go into a used record store and buy the record. And there was only one transfer of capital from the original purchaser to the artist and the label and everything. So people like to envision. NFTs and crypto as an analog of that, where 
yeah, you're getting a higher upfront investment and then it's an asset that, that is carried forward as opposed to making pennies on the dollar for incremental streams that like nobody owns and are just ethereal. But, but realistically, in the worst case, in the usual case with a lot of these NFTs, it's more like when Martin Scrawley bought the Wu-Tang Clan album where there was one of and he bought it for $20 million and then it like gets sold over and ever again. But that's like an amount of money nobody's going to spend on one of these NFTs for an actual like artist work for listening to music. And if somebody wants to sell an NFT album and make 20,000 of them, it's so much of a resource drain to track the sale, per- perpetuate the sale, and perpetuate the continual updating of the license that... It is not a net add to anyone or from a like total use of resources and capital for everyone. Right. And I think that's also the thing, right? If you were to ask us, do some of these things need improvement and more efficient ways to do things? Sure. <laughs> Should there be a better way yeah. that artists can monetize or that licenses can be tracked and some other things should be done? Absolutely. Is this the thing that it's actually being better or cheaper or faster or it can't be done in a different way? And I don't know. Again, some things will be. I'm sure some things will be. But right now, I just don't see it. But we are also two people that believe that the, the free hand of the market should have a lot of handcuffs on it. So right. yes. there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 well, I, I, took right. you, I took you on a route, Just What do you think of Square apparently becoming the... I guess it's now the biggest self-defined blockchain company. I don't know. Are they bigger than Coinbase? I I don't know. Maybe. Honestly, think it's a good move for Square. It's Square has moved beyond its. Square has moved beyond the mission it originally had, which was early smartphone company that's helping translate the analog world into the digital world and in a world where stripe and other payment processors ate their lunch in being able to help monetize the web quickly they've also like they there's no longer the need for the physical product that they had their payments processing product is no longer top of the pack so looking at the future of payments Absolutely. Okay, let's do crypto. Something like that, that makes sense to figure out like an efficient way to, to work with that. And it helps make the title purchase make sense in hindsight because titles, lossless, high re- royalties for artists model does vibe with the general ethos that people like to project about NFTs and crypto. So, right. yep. okay. I, I think it is a salient restructuring, retitling, and focusing effort. I can see that. For me, the biggest thing is the naming. It's perfect. Yeah. They have it. Square to blockchain is like a Pokemon you evolve from 2D to 3D. It has the block words. Like it was perfect. Like whoever the agency or the marketer was. was, like no brainer. Three seconds on the whiteboard. Perfect answer. No meta, not alphabet crap. No. Perfect. Right, yeah. It, it is a, I think, much cleaner, much more savvy transition from square to block than Google to Alphabet's a, a good call out. But even just Facebook to, Facebook to Meta is the worst one. Everything about Facebook and Meta is just, ugh. Ugh. no, it's, let's not talk about them anymore. Yes. I just, that, that, I would rather live in Jack Dorsey's crypto hellscape than the like p- below second life level metaverse that Reddit player one no that's the world the facebook one sounds like looks like i mean they want ready player one as designed by like 2007 nintendo <laughs> hey 2007 nintendo i was talking the other day about the playing sonic in the gamecube well, I guess that's before <laughs> 2007. But yeah. what The joke I'm specifically making is that they look like worse than me's, which are some of the ugliest things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I can also see that. Uh, 
Okay, that was enough of you and I being angry at something. Yeah, so speaking of artists getting fairly compensated, you want to switch the box office? <laughs> yes. But let's, I mean, let's start at the beginning, though. Because two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago? Last week? Like 10 days ago, I was in San Francisco. And Carl, you and your wife, Alex, were kind enough to invite me for dinner. Uh, your friend Lily was there. We had a lovely homemade prime rib. Um, what's the name of the sauce? Bolognese. Bolognese yes. pasta. It was amazing. And then as we were having dinner, we were talking about what I was going to do the next day. And we said that both of us didn't have anything to do. So I was like, oh, we should go to the movies. Because we, the last thing we saw in the movies together, what was it? We said 1917? 1917, yeah. Okay. And then both of us kind of looked at each other and were like, oh, it's Friday today. West Side Story came out today. We should go tomorrow. And if I, like when I approached that topic with you in front of everyone, I was like, there, there are going to be a couple of reactions here. One is, either Alex and Ilya are going to be like, no way, you have to see it with us. Super anticipated. The other one I thought was going to be, oh, I'm sure it's going to be sold out because it came out today and it's getting great reviews online and whoever. But I, let me just say, it didn't go <laughs> at all like I thought it was going to go. <laughs> you want to tell the listeners how it went? Yeah, well, first of all, I pull out the AMC app because Eitan and I and Alex are all A-list members. Oh, yes. So Eitan's now part of my A-list entourage so we could book tickets together again. <laughs> Woohoo! So instantly it was no question. So we just pulled out, okay, what's the earliest screening we can go to? And I'm, I'm pulling it up and there are almost unlimited tickets to every screening in the city. Basically. And then we look over and, and Alex and Lily are just kind of looking at each other trying to like figure out how to work around this and I, I knew from prior experience and prior conversation that Alex especially did not have any interest in going to see West Side Story. I mean, she's she's not a Spielberg skeptic. She's come around on Spielberg like most people have. But just that Spielberg plus musical plus she sat down and watched a few minutes of West, the old West Side Story with me the other night when I was watching it. And she mm-hmm. was like, this is, this is a bridge too far for me. She's like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do the, the ballet gangs. Okay. So I knew that they were like not about seeing it and wanted to do something else, but you were just like, let's, let's do it. So we ended up the two of us going and it was great. Yeah. Boys date to West Side Story. Yeah. We ended up in the Metro in San Francisco, a mall that opens at 11 a.m. And uh, our screening was at 11.15 and we had to wait outside to get in, which was fun. Um, anyway, the experience was great. I mean, now Omicron is going up, so I'm glad we got one screening in. At this pace, we're going to watch another movie together in a year and a half. But mm-hmm. I'll take it. I thought it was a great movie to watch on the movies versus all the ones that, like, you know, Matrix. If I don't want to wait for three weeks, I'm going to have to watch it on HBO or whatever. Uh, and I really don't want to. I may have to watch it twice. Um, mm-hmm. Or, like, Power. I'll talk about Power of the Dog. I saw it here. And I want to talk about the experience. Um, but, yeah, I mean... As always, you'll have the more nuanced take, but I, reacting, I have never seen West Side Story, either play or the old movie. I knew in general what it was about, that it was based in Rome and Juliet, that it was set in New York, that it was kind of this Puerto Rican against, what are the Jets? Irish? Just Polacks, they said? What? I... No, they also make fun of the Polish people. It was a little more Irish leaning in this, but generally it's just kind of vaguely lower class white gang. Okay. Um, I even had a couple of reactions where I was like, oh, these movies from here? I didn't know. You know? Whether it was like I Feel Pretty or or whatever. Or the one that ends up being sung by um, Rita Moreno's character, that even though it's not... Oh, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow, somewhere, someday, whatever. And I really liked it. I think Rachel Siegler, right, is the name of the actress of uh, the mm-hmm. place, uh, Maria. Awesome. Like, such contrast. I think if you changed her and you put it in the heights, in the heights would have been yeah. just incredible. Like, it's probably the right, the lowest point of in the heights. Here, it's probably one of the highlights. It's great. Uh, Anita is fantastic. 
Dubosi, I always uh, get her last name. Yeah, right. uh, Ariana Dubos. Yeah, Ariana Dubos, which we both loved in Schmigadun, but of course, a very long history. She's been amazing in many different things. Uh, brief, great. Is Ansel Elgort kind of the most eh? Probably. He's okay. Yeah, he's the most eh. But I. He's a, he was fine. I thought okay. People like to performatively. I think. There was so much performative hatred of, of Ansel this time because, yes, there were there was a credible assault allegation against him last year on Twitter. It's one of those where it's kind of in limbo because it was one accusation with text, but of somebody he was involved with in a relationship, and it all got deleted. So it's like he doesn't come out good like that, looking like that. He's probably not a great dude, but at the same time, it's not as conclusive as some other things, and he just stepped out of the spotlight. But his star is completely tarnished and mm-hmm. he's been like very out of the press tour and everything but i think just between between that and the fact that everyone hated the goldfinch and everyone decided over the last four years that somehow they hate baby driver even though everyone loved baby driver i when love it came baby out. driver I, I don't i still love baby i don't driver. get the i don't get the reactionary reappraisal of that film because of el gordon spacey and, like, and, yeah exactly i mean <laughs> it's just you can think it's a good film and also be like, I don't like El Gordon or Spacey. But I just, everyone had their knives off for El Gordon, every review. And he's he's fine. He's certainly the weakest link. But it's also Tony is the weakest character. So, yeah. His yeah. reaction when he's told that, I mean, hopefully everyone has seen or know the story because it's, it's 50 years old. But his reaction to when he's told that Maria is dead, pretty good. But anyway, I took us down to very specific things. Carl, you saw West Side Story. What did you think? So I, I've been joking with Alex this week that the the hand wavy pseudo intellectual take that everybody has about Steven Spielberg is, oh my god, he's so good at blocking shots. It's like nobody consciously sits down and thinks about blocking every time they watch a movie. <laughs> They're just watching a movie. I, I if I had to pinpoint it, I think a lot of it comes down to. Steven Soderbergh did a big like video essay thing where he re-edited Bla- Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark in black and white with in, as a silent film to show off the quote-unquote blocking. So I think people just latched onto that as an easy take with Spielberg. But that said, I mean, it is true. The guy knows how to stage action so well. The, the thing that I keep looking at in the trailer is in the gym scene, which is the, the first scene where the sharks and the jets are all in, in one room as well as their female companions and Tony and Maria, the two, the Romeo and Juliet, meet each other. The way Spielberg shoots it is, it's this big, loud, jazzy Leonard Bernstein number, and the music kind of fades out. They're both in these big key lights, and there's all this action rushing in front of them, but mm-hmm. somehow they're both still in focus and getting more and more in focus. And it's just like, it's, it's incredible looking and beautifully staged and just... He knows how to tell a story visually, which is more than most people. And I think that's what people say when they mean, oh, his blocking's so good. But literally, like there were shots in this that were just so beautiful and powerful just because of like what they contained in the frame. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> great, great looking film, beautiful sounding, my favorite of the year by a good margin, but it's only because the like, power of the dog is also amazing, but not a musical. So Sorry. Jake. Got it. Wow, that's interesting. You should have started with that. Yeah. I also really liked it. Uh, I want to watch it again with Ariella. I think when we get back. The Yeah, I agree. I really like the description of the ballet gangs. I think my first time watching it was kind of like, I know that's what it is, but I guess I didn't know. But it still had like such cool numbers. And I hope this doesn't come across a bad way. But I think what you were saying for me, it's almost like I got out of the movie and I was like, yeah, there was something that was very compelling and I couldn't put it into words. And maybe it was that in terms of like the very quote unquote basic things of like, yeah, yeah. Maria and Tony are going to be in the stairs as well as Maria's apartment. Where should I shoot this from? Right? I know right. This, this has to be there. Do I shoot it from above and the window? Do I shoot it from below where he's coming up? And maybe this is exactly what the director does. And again, it goes back to basics, but the way this is staged, it's or not staged, but maybe what you're saying is blocked, or it's the scene is defined, or whatever. It's just very good. And maybe just something that most of the movies I 
don't pay attention to because it's more simple. I want to say basic mm -hmm. than here. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I keep coming the the America living in America scene with the vans in the middle of the street. I felt I was like mm -hmm. super captivated. Yeah, so good. Same. Yeah. And okay, to me, look at the last ten years of musicals. You have La La Land, which is great, but fairly small scale. And Chazelle uses budget to his advantage and right. creates a indie musical. But beyond that, there's kind of three lanes of musicals. There's the indie musical, like a, I guess Sing Street's the largest version of it, or Once is the smallest version of it, where it's, let's do the stripped down small thing in one room with musical, but it's, it's small. You have the, let's make a big musical thing, but with digital set extension, which starts with kind of Sweeney Todd up through the Tom Hooper, Les Mis, Cats, Diptych, which that just gets increasingly nice nightmarish every time somebody does it. Yeah. Or you have the closest thing to a big Hollywood musical in the Heights. We've talked about to death. We're not counting that is Rob Marshall's films. So you have Chicago, which is quite good through, mm -hmm. um, what is it? In the woods. And he did nine. And what's, what's the one I'm thinking of? Mary Mary Poppins Returns. Oh yeah, Mary Poppins the Returns is the one I'm I'm most frustrated with, I guess. But the dude, he he stages these big sets, lots of people, lots of choreography, and then just ruins it all with editing and close shots and everything that doesn't show how big and expansive and how much money he's spending on this. Okay, did he do it's, because it's exactly like, that description? I think of Moulin Rouge. Is that his? It's it's not. But what what Marshall's doing is. Marshall's ingesting, I think, two major influences. Bob Bossy, who did Cabaret, all that jazz. He staged Chicago for the first time, and Chicago is his choreography. He He's a very flashy filmmaker, but a lot of his, his films are very smaller scale, more intimate productions. So it lends itself to tight editing to make it feel broader and more expansive and more macabre. Um, and then you have right at the turn of the century, you have Baz Luhrmann, who mm -hmm. does Moulin Rouge, which is really flashy, but Moulin Rouge is, I think, trying to cleverly, kind of the Damien Chazelle thing, disguise budget and disguise scope through editing to make it feel more expansive than it is. Yeah. Whereas Rob Marshall has the budget and has the staging and has the buy-in and then just like is sloppily cutting in shots of people's hands or faces or zooming in on some random lamp lighter Object. when it yeah. should just be, be this big <laughs> sequence with everyone dancing. It's just, he's, his films are good films, terribly directed to me. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, don't like them. So anyway, Spielberg just figured out the right way to put a camera somewhere, puts it on a crane, moves it around, sometimes flashily, but make sure that everything you need to know and care about is visible at all times in relation to everything else you need to care about. It's basic shit that I couldn't do, but somehow this guy's brain is able to pull it all together and make it look good. Yeah, I think I think those, what is it, 10 minutes in the gym and the uh, America yeah. scene are probably like, if I'm in this, I would rewatch them. I could rewatch them over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's so good. Just so good. The dancing is good. It's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Music is good. Yeah. It is all somehow intelligible and beautiful, and you understand the stakes of everything. Like, the, the gym is just spectacular. You yeah. have a hundred people in there. You're trying to track maybe ten of them, and through the use of sound, color, dialogue, and depth of focus and, and staging, you're able to track every single moment over 10 minutes that you need to care about from 10 different characters. And it's just magically well done. Yeah, it's 10 different characters and there's also like six different relationships because it ends with like yeah. Tony and Maria, of course. But most of the time mm -hmm. is uh, Reeve and something with A? Bernardo. Bernardo, Bernardo yes. Yeah. But it's also Bernardo with Anita and it's also Reeve and his girlfriend, whatever, I don't know what her name is. And then it's also kind of Chino and Maria. 
So there is like a lot of dimensions in that scene. It's like everyone is kind of against each other and you try to keep track of like, oh yeah, Anne Maria is Bernardo's brother, but she lives with Anita, Bernardo's sister, you know, like all of these things. And Tony and Reef, and Reef is excited that Tony's there because he hadn't got out and everything is happening in 10 minutes. In my not but even it 10 minutes. Not, yeah. It feels effortless and you are not for a second confused or trying to figure out who's who or what matters or what anybody's doing. And that is good filmmaking. It's pretty good. So that all said, yeah, exactly. Turn come out of this. this. <laughs> yeah. That, that also, we, him and I, Aton and I are re reading reviews of this and thinking, okay, yeah, this is slam dunk. Going to be a great movie. Everyone's going to turn out in droves to see this big Broadway musical realized again on the screen. Another best picture chance for this, this story. And we got out of there like completely high off of how good this film is. And then we're like, wait, there were only five people in the audience. And then we open the numbers and see, oh, it's tracking to make $4 million opening weekend. To be fair, I don't know where those track that tracking performance is coming from. It made $10.6 yeah. domestically. It did for COVID, okay, especially for the Ballet Gangs musical, <laughs> I think. Right. But that's the thing is it was number one with a bullet that weekend. And Canto and what was number two? Ghostbusters, I think, mm -hmm. were yep. the the other two following that. And then we have this weekend at the box office, which shows different strengths at play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, yeah, so Spider-Man, No Way Home, officially closed the weekend as the second biggest opening weekend ever just behind Avengers Endgame. It looked like it was going to be number three for a second. And to your point about tracking, it actually made it up. And I think both you and I were like, and we'll talk about Spider-Man. You haven't seen it, right? I haven't seen it either. I haven't seen it. I, I want to see it. I have nothing oh, yeah, against Spider-Man. No. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. This, is, but this is not. we haven't had the chance to. Yeah, yeah. I hope this doesn't come across as we disparaging Spider-Man or Marvel. But to your point about kind of looking at look, reading what's happening online and expecting something everyone is coming out of the week and being like oh my god you know disney did it this is such an indictment of all middle budget movies or all movies or just what a failure west side story was or like this means like the box office could have you know was always going to be okay and these other movies are bad and we were just like I'm going to use this word because this is the word I feel like saying, but I don't think this is the word that describes how we're feeling. It's like flabbergasted. In terms of like, I think you tweeted it and both of us were like, what is happening? Well, like, what are we missing here? This is probably the most well-known character in the world. Probably more than Batman and, I mean, Iron Man, sure, but like, this has the most history. Right? It's writing MCU. It's the third movie in a franchise. It has this incredible marketing hype cycle. And it's targeted at people that are way likelier to go to the movies. That are probably waiting to go to the movies. That when I take a step back and it's like, wait, 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 wait. But even let's just waste a certain Spider-Man. If you think of like what needs to go right for these movies to become a hit. Spider-Man had always, always had a way greatest chance to doing it. Is it surprising that this happened during the pandemic? And uh, there is such a difference between that and everything else? Sure. However, when you think of like how, how surprising it is, I didn't find it surprising at all. I was like, yeah, this always had a chance of happening versus it would have surprised me yeah. way more if West Side Story made 70 million on its opening weekend. Like, what are we talking about? And, and pre-COVID, absolutely, there was the chance it would have made 70 million opening weekend. But we, we're in this cycle where... It's a compressed movie season because everyone waited till the last second this year to release their movies because of mm -hmm. COVID and, and fears around audiences not turning up, which are fairly warranted. It, it's also, they're stuck in a rock and a hard place where I, I think the, the one film here that's the most interesting to analyze is Nightmare Alley. Obviously, Spider-Man was going to perform well. West Side Story opened last weekend, did well in a pandemic for an adult musical sure. that's based on something very old by a very established director. Like, it, it did well. 
but it, it was never going to be a the number one thing at the box office in like contrast to major franchises okay but nightmare alley everyone's like disney buried nightmare alley it's a searchlight release they were trying to just get it out and and dump it so that they didn't have to deal with it that is absolutely not the case it's the it's a recently reigning best picture winner returning with a the a, the star being a recently nominated best director best picture actor director combo they're not trying to screw these people but where do you release it if you follow the common wisdom of movies need to be released this year to be actual awards contenders and be taken seriously they're not going to release that against west side story because those are going to clash each other mm-hmm. and spielberg has the the higher clout and they probably they spent more on it they're not going to release it next weekend against the matrix which is going to cater to a more adult action oriented crowd that might be more predisposed to see nightmare alley yeah, it's also kind of noir smart, and dark yeah yeah it was smart counter programming against their, themselves when they they're between all of these things and they're also not going to go against licorice pizza for the the indie box office when that finally releases wide at the end of this year early next year they had no choice but to kind of unceremoniously dump it and counter programming against technically a different studio against their own franchise was a smart and probably the only decision here and when i also think about these movies and like give me honest this is my what i say now every week when i talk with you but like this always happens with these movies I'm an indie film with a pretty big director. I'm buying for an Oscar. It's going to get dropped the last two weeks of December. And, like, I think of Parasite. I think of Shape of Water. Like, the last movie that Guillermo Torrius won Best Oscar for Best Picture, I had to go watch it at the art movie theater next to Stanford because it wasn't available anywhere else. Yeah. Right? Like, this is kind of also the thing of, like, yeah, we know this is not going to, you know, make $200 million at the box office in its run, let alone if he, in its opening weekend. This is going to be a movie that is going to get talked about. It's going to have eight nominations at the Oscars. Six nominations at the Oscars. There are a lot of movies this year. It's going to have a chance to fight for Best Picture. We'll talk about Power of the Dog and West Side Story. Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, William Defoe. Like, this movie is going to be fine. Like, I never, you know, they, it was never marketed even. I, I never saw a trailer, either in the movies or on TV. It was always kind of online because I'm a Guillermo del Toro fan and I'm, I'm going to watch it. But like, yeah, again, when I think of the surprising things, this is not surprising. This just seemed to be, I agree with your point, like yeah. just somebody being bored and having takes of like, oh, this is greatly reviewed but flopping at the box office. is like, what is it? And yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I... Yes, I'm dismayed that people are not turning out in droves to see Nightmare Alley and West Side Story, and they're, they're turning up to see Spider-Man instead. Absolutely. But I, I, I have two thoughts on this. One, your point about The Shape of Water is absolutely true. Who the hell in their right mind would look at the premise of that film or the trailer for that film and think, this is going to become the consensus pick for Best Picture that year that everyone's okay with? Yeah. No. Yeah. But on top of that... We, we no longer live in the world where a movie can credibly stay in the box office from a December award season release through the Oscar season, even, even in a world where the Oscars are in February instead of April. They just, theatrical releases don't work like that. So you're not, no longer going to have this kind of crawling to the Oscars and then hopefully getting a bump because of Best Picture nominations or wins so you get more people in the theaters. They're just going to re-release the movie if it if it wins or has buzz and people will go see it then. They don't need to think about it like that. And the more important thing is the streaming rights, the rental rights, and even the home video rights for some of these auteur releases from people that are going to buy physical media. That is what matters here. It sucks that it's not theatrical that matters, but that's just the industry we're in right now. And on top of that, unfortunately, it's really great that people are turning up to see spider-man because that means that there's a cash infusion into theaters people do care about seeing big things in a theater and 
for every 10 people that see a, a Marvel movie and never step foot in a theater outside of that, there's one 18-year-old who's going to become attracted to that experience, interested in it, and be and realize, oh, Power of the Dog is playing next door. I don't know what that is, but it looks good on Netflix from the poster I saw. Maybe I'll just go see that because I like sitting in a theater. And that's how we keep theaters alive. Yeah. Is not by trying to push people towards this indie stuff. Yeah, and speaking of Power of the Dog and Night Rally not being pushed, I saw Power of the Dog yesterday. I couldn't find Power of the Dog. I had to scroll four lines down and four to the right to find it. You know, it's like, if Power of the Dog was playing in theaters right now, it probably would have done the same. Or less. It looks even less interesting yeah. from the... I mean, it looks beautiful to people like you and me, but I think if uh, somebody... You know, regular person sees these versus Nightmare Alley. I would imagine people would be like, "Oh, Nightmare Alley, fire!" Well, then the whole talking—it's interesting. There is a suspense here. Anyway, yeah, I, I mean, I think Nightmare Alley is gonna be fine. I think Searchlight is gonna be very happy with what happens with Guillermo del Toro and Bradley yeah. Cooper. Um, this doesn't seem to be like surprising at all. Like, I w- I'm, I'm curious. Like, you know, uh, what was it? let's say, six years ago when The Force Awakens came out. I'm sure if we went back to the numbers and we said, like, okay, what were the Oscar, you know, some of these indie things that made the Oscars, how much money did they make during the first week or second week? And it's probably going to be along the same. Again, take the discount for COVID, that, of course, is crazy. But I go back to the what is more surprising, what is more shocking, and this is not. I even thought it was going to be a, a small release. Because Spider-Man, I opened, I opened the app here in Mexico. I don't think that Morales in Mexico. But like 60% of the screens are Spider-Man. I, I've been trying to Google also how many screens was the release of Nightmare and Because I know it, it was wide. But like how wide was it? Spider-Man must be in like 4,000 screens or more. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah the, this Force Awakens comparison is really interesting because... That was your Spotlight one, which is one of those years where mm. nobody saw Spotlight. Nobody in a saw Spotlight. Was <laughs> indie thing that went in and out of the Spotlight very uh, quickly. Uh, uh, funny, uh, well, funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't think about that. Yeah. But I mean, that was the that was the Spotlight Revenant Carol Fury Road year at the Oscars, yeah. and like, I I need to revisit Spotlight. I think I would like it more this time around. Carol's great, but certainly not for everyone. Fury Road is amazing, but yeah, that's a big budget. Hard sell. Yeah, and it's also a summer yeah, blockbuster. Exactly. It's not a December indie but release. I would like if we move all of those movies to the COVID box office here, and people are screaming about how people aren't seeing Spotlight and The Revenant because Force Awakens is out. It's just, it's just such a stupid argument. Yeah, I, I fully deleted the Twitter app the other day just between. Um, just between all the bad takes about movies and the box office right now, and then everyone in New York losing their mind about Omicron, even though we knew about Omicron three weeks ago, like it just happened overnight. Like just, there was just all these things where it's like, why are you just reacting now to this? Like mm-hmm. these are all bigger systemic problems that we're facing as a society that are known issues. And like the one data point that everyone's fixated on this week is not the problem necessarily. Yeah. I agree. So I'm I just I'm off Twitter probably through the holidays because <laughs> it is driving me crazy. No, I get it. I want to be back on Twitter for the Matrix. Yeah, I'll I'll check back in. Which seems to be getting good reviews for all the right reasons, which I love. <laughs> right? Without spoiling it, it sounds like the action is not incredible. It's not the most amazing thing, but it's actually a very personal, romantic, you know, philosophical movie. It's like Perfect. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it it sounds like if you liked Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, or the Matrix sequels, <laughs> exactly. this is the movie for you. Hey, Carl. And, this is the movie for you. <laughs> and, and you know what? At the same time, I'm probably like, okay, staying off Twitter for the next week and a half because everyone's going to be losing their minds about how good the Matrix is. And then three days later, everyone's going to be screaming about, why is the cinema score... And the box office is so low on this. Why yeah. don't people like this? America is doomed. Yeah. It's like, no, the, the weird, goofy, optimistic 
trans allegory movie is not probably for general audiences. Exactly. Sorry, people. Yeah, it came out <laughs> 17 years after the other one. Anyway, I know this is a very yeah. natural transition to more box office stuff, but I want to take a five-minute detour to talk Power of the Dog because we mentioned it for a bit. Let me say how my experience was, and then you can walk us through your birth. First, cool. Summer House, small TV. Sofa, middle of the house. Every time I have to walk through it. My grandma is there. Bless, bless his heart, uh, hearing problems. Brother, his wife is there. Mother is there. We're all talking. Probably wrong decision. <laughs> Probably wrong decision. I'm going to have to re, uh, redo it. Uh, people on the phone getting distracted eating. Beautiful. Is it in New Zealand? We were talking when it finished. It said something at the beginning of New Zealand. Incredible. Uh, it's also a movie where I realized what was happening too late. And I don't know if I realized too late because that was kind of on purpose. For it to be like, oh. Or if I had just hadn't been paying enough attention to the detail because, again, setting. But... Good. When are we watch alone yeah. in a bigger screen in the darkness? It was the last thing we saw in the theater before coming to Oklahoma. Oh, nice. You got it in the theater. For Christmas. Yeah. yeah. No. That was every, every week Alex and I sit down as part of our scheduling and look at what's in theaters, both in the rep theaters and new releases. And kind of chart, okay, ranked order. What are the top three things we want to see? What is the most important thing to see this week? And then, like, what are the, the other two that if we have time or one of us wants to go, we can go see? And Power of the Dog was the one where it was, by the time we come back from Christmas, this probably won't be in the theaters. As a Netflix release of a Jane Campion film, it probably won't easily be in rep screenings again. Mm-hmm. Let's prioritize seeing this and a theater during probably its last week or two in the theater. So we went and saw it. And yeah, beautiful, engrossing. Uh, it's supposed to take place in Montana, but and it was really strange seeing a New Zealand that's not like the verdant Middle Earth New Zealand right. as yeah, a stand-in for something. But it was gorgeous and a, a good fit for the American West. Like very good place to film that, I think. But beautiful film. And I had not the experience of being too late. I had the perfect experience of realizing what was happening in certain scenes right as it was happening. And it was just like clockwork realizing through rating and there, there's one scene, I don't really want to spoil it, but there's a scene where the camera is kind of a leering eye over a scene that's happening. And you think it's one character, but it ends up being another character. And then oh, yeah. you kind of just follow this other character into a field and are watching watching him do something that reveals something about his character. And the co- the combination of kind of the leering eye over the scene and the action of the following scene and all of this character's like character actions and moments throughout all crystallized in one perfect second of Oh, this is what this movie is about. Yeah. Wow. How cool, how beautiful, and what a good performance. Yeah. I thought so. I thought as well. I thought the end, and we just finished our story. Like, like, oh, and then they showed us this and the blah. And if you haven't skipped 15 seconds, please cover your ears. Oh, and the carcass. Oh, and his thing had a B and an H. That's Bronco Henry. Yes. And like, oh, and he, he knew, and with the cigarette, the first time he smiled. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And the water, and yep. blah. yeah, yeah. And then when he, it is the a last film. shot with the with the rope, wearing it with gloves, yeah, very cool. It is a film where it means one thing, and then you think about it for a second, and there's an another meaning that's completely unlocked. And it's cool that the other meaning you can enjoy and appreciate the film without even having the kind of very obvious conspiracy theory element of the ending thrust in front of you too. Great film, amazing film. Any other year would be my best picture winner, but I've got to stand Stephen Wilson here. But they are the two best films I have seen in years. Incredible new, wow. new films from two incredible directors. Very, Very happy cool. with both of them. Yeah, I need to rewatch it. I guess it's like every who done it. Where after you know what happens, you want to rewatch it. 
for paying closer attention. Um, but yeah, I agree. Very, very good. Okay. Unfortunately, Power of the Dog was not in the box office here. I have last weekend's box office pulled up here, and it's nowhere to be found. Also, I think Netflix is Netflix. <laughs> Netflix is still four-walling a screening, so they're not going to release box office numbers anyway. But that said, I think the big, big thing to call out about this box office is not that Disney threw its own movie under the bus to help fuel Spider-Man's performance. It's the fact that Sony and Disney, and especially Disney, have financial upside in the majority of the movies this weekend. Mm -hmm. That's the big scary problem. You want to walk us through it? Because I think I saw it somewhere. I was like, well, wait, let's see. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 20 century before. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the, the top five is Spider-Man No Way Home, which is a Sony production, but Disney financial upside because it's MCU technically. Apparently 25%. Way higher than I thought. So like they, they made more money off of this than they made on the rest of their movies combined last weekend, even yeah. though they only got 25% of the haul. Right. You have Encanto, Disney, West Side Story, 20th Century, Disney, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Sony, Nightmare Alley, Searchlight, Disney. So Disney has upside in four of these. Sony has the dominant upside in two of these. And then we dig further into that. You have House of Gucci, which is MGM, Eternals, Disney, Clifford, Paramount, Resident Evil, Sony, Dune, Warner Brothers, and Venom, Sony. So all of these are Disney... Sony, but even then, Disney's taking the lion's share home. Wild. Wild. And it's also like, production. when you said that at the beginning, I was like, okay, looking back at the year, you know, maybe a lot of people pushed things back, waited, uh, whatever, right? Even most of these movies from Disney, right? We're not looking back at the year. Probably huge successes, right? They have Jungle Cruise, which was kind of fine. They was also online. And uh, Premier Access, uh, Cruella, fine. We both really liked it, but you know, I don't know if people would consider it a huge success. Uh, Luca, amazing. I thought. I thought I, you finally saw it, right? You liked it. Yeah. Okay. It's cute. Perfect. Yeah, uh, I, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Disney Plus only. Who knows? So for all intents and purposes, you could look back at Disney and be like, eh, kind of a bad year, right? Shang Chi didn't break it. Eternals didn't break it. Uh, uh, Encanto, I love doesn't seem to be, you know, again, it's a similar story to West Side Story in terms of the people that will go watch it. It's going to have an awesome, it's coming out next week in Disney Plus, December 24th. They're doing the Frozen 2 uh, treatment so that it's fast in Disney Plus very quickly. Um, but then you look at this and it's like, <laughs> probably this is where you're going off. Yeah, it's still pretty, pretty dominant. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. And at the same time, probably the most surprising thing to me is Sony. We've talked to Sony as, you know, the arms dealers, I'm going to stay alone, I'm going to do my thing, and then maybe it's only their December, and they didn't do anything else for the the other 11 and a half months of the year, but doubling down I mean, or you, on you the... You are right there. That, yeah. That Sony has three films in the top 10, and then it goes all the way down to number 31 before you hit another Sony for this year. Okay. So the number 31 is Peter Rabbit 2, but... In their oh. top 10, they have Spider-Man, Venom, and Ghostbusters, which were all in the last month. But beyond that, majority are Disney, majority are Marvel. You also have Free Guy in there, and then you have the outliers are Quiet Place 2, F9, which is Universal, and No Time to Die, which is MGM. So all in all, Disney's really controlling it, and then Sony slipped in with two quasi-MCU releases and one like a sequel. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, wow. It's a big bummer to, to look at this and realize, oh, wow, what there is, are... What is the largest box office of an original movie this year? I guess, I mean, take out, take out animated. Like, Encanto is not, it's yeah. technically original, but, I mean, I think it's kind of similar. Okay. The... So... So, I probably, we need to take out Spider-Man, Fast 9, okay. uh, Venom, uh, James Bond. Yeah. I, I think... There's a few ways to define this. We could, I would, I would almost count Eternals. Eternals has the Marvel bump. I know it's not a, a original. That's the closest thing, and that's number six. A Quiet Place Two is more original IP than most, but still, still technically a sequel. No, 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 not original. Original. 
Um, I'm not counting Free Guy as original. Okay, so why? Because I saw Free Guy it's just, two days ago. Because it's just roiling in, in other IP, and it is it's basically Deadpool mixed with video game and Disney IP. Okay, no, perfect. we're not counting that. Next one. Um, we could count Jungle Cruise. So no, I'm not counting Jungle, Jungle Cruise because it's a Disney Jungle Cruise live thing. But so also kind I, of. I uh, think that the two. Jungle the, Cruise the is a similar best... IP like Free Guy. It's rock <laughs> with Pirates of the Caribbean. Sorry, I'm, I'm messing on your decision. Okay, so I, I technically we should give it to Jungle Cruise. I think the actual answer is Dune here at number twelve. Dune. Yeah. No, but that's not original, Carl. Give me something actually original, like a Knives okay, Out it's original. It's adapted from a book from the sixties. Okay, you're making my point for me, which is great. But like, give me, give me. Yes. All right, we we're down at eighteen. The Conjuring, which is a sequel. No, Candyman, which is a, a remake. Oh my right. god! Boss Baby, Adam Sandler, Suicide Squad, Clifford. Okay, number twenty-five is the only thing that is not adapted, not a sequel, and it is my boy M Night with old with old. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So we had to go all the way down to number 25 before we got to something that's not a remake or a sequel or part of a larger franchise. Wow. Which or I know it's, I know to your point, it's kind of unfair, right? Because Dune is like, yeah, sure, it's adapted, but a ton of things are adapted, right? Nightmare Alley is adapted, technically. It's, it's a book, it was a movie. Okay. I know you have a hard stop. I kind of have a soft stop here. So let's transition out of box office because I have a quick AUA, which is just something that. It's a very self-serving AUA. Okay. Eitan, why do you like Carl? Is that the AUA? No. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a Christmas gift to me. <laughs> have, you, have you heard about or seen the trailers for the documentary Flea? F-L-E-E? No. I haven't even heard about it. Okay. So it's about an Afghani refugee. Just Google it quickly and like don't watch the trailer, but like get a skim through the, the, the trailer without sound. Okay. It's a, a documentary that's getting a lot of buzz. It's animated... Uh, quite a bit of it's animated, and it's telling the story of a gay refugee from Afghanistan leaving Afghanistan, believe in the rise of the Taliban, and 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 moving forward. And it's getting a lot of buzz for foreign film and for animated film this year. Okay. And my AUA here is: Do neon. I have to see this movie? It's neon. Yeah. It's yeah, do I have to see this movie because the animation looks hideous, but at the same time. I think animation looks hideous because that's what an indie animator can do on a limited budget in 2021. <laughs> so it's like political that it's ugly, but I also think it looks really ugly and don't want to sit through that. <laughs> I That's a great question. I think my reaction would be exactly for the reasons that you mentioned, especially at the end, yes. Because it's bad. Yeah. You know, on purpose. Like they probably could have made yeah. it better, but it's kind of the point. It wants to transmit the feeling of I, I'm, I'm watching this without uh, audio, no. but just by the description that you gave, a sense of despair, a sense of this is the reality of other people. Um, <laughs> everything is Pixar and uh, into the Spider Verse <laughs> in terms of animation. But yeah, I, th I think you have to watch it. Is that where you were landing yeah, as I well? Yeah, I think I have to too. Yeah. I, when I lived in LA a few summers ago, I saw there was an animated indie, uh, Bunuel and, and the Labyrinth of the Turtles, about the, the Spanish surrealist. And similar, like, very ugly animation that looks like it was done in, in Flash in 2005. But it's just like, I just, it's really hard for me to focus on animation that, that is that stilted and ugly. And I, I know I'm supposed to have, like, a bigger animation brain of, like, oh, it's a different way of telling a story and it allows you to do things on a different budget and a different scale. But at the same time, Boy, I just don't want to look at something that ugly for two hours. <laughs> Hopefully, it's a little bit shorter. It's a documentary. Hopefully. Okay, <laughs> my AUA for you: three minutes. Most watched, most most watch movies you have for the rest of the year. Ooh, good call. You've talked about a couple. You said Matrix. I mean, even if you watch after, they just say what like what are the movies at the top of your list? Yeah. Want to see Nightmare Alley? Seems like it's more for fans of Shape of Water than the rest of his films. So there's that. Licorice Pizza, obviously. Mm -hmm. PGA seems to have made a, a 
beautiful, another beautiful film that seems interesting and good. Tragedy of Macbeth, the, the Cohen mm, B24 mm-hmm. Apple thing looks beautiful. That I didn't know existed until we saw the trailer together. <laughs> the others, they were like, oh my yeah, God, this is sure. a Macbeth thing. I was like, what? We did this with Washington? What is this? Uh, worst person in the world, the the French foreign film is getting a lot of buzz. It's comedy, looks great. I think those those are the big three off the top of my head. Matrix four. Oh, obviously Matrix. Yes, okay. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but that's just that's just a given. We've already talked about the Matrix. Yeah, no, yeah. that makes. Sense. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think similar. I think I think the ones that I have here in Mexico because the, the rights are different. I saw that I can watch No Time to Die, which I haven't watched. But from the new ones, I think it's the same ones. I really wanted to watch, of course, um, Power of the Dog. So I was very happy I got that in. The other one that I would add to yours is the Drive My Car. Yes. Which seems yeah. to be... I need to I need to find how to watch it in Mexico. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's available to rent here. Um, but yeah, I think the ones you mentioned. Nightmare Alley, I can't wait. Matrix, I can't wait. Hopefully in as big a movie as possible. Uh, as big a screen as possible. Ligurus Pizza. need to get it as soon as I can. And, uh, yeah. And then I remembered three more. <laughs> I remembered, I looked at my list. Okay. But there, there's three more that I'm really looking forward to. We've got Sean Baker's Red Rocket. Good buzz. Oh, yeah. Great. I have that as well. Maggie Gyllenhaal's The Lost Daughter with Olivia Colman looks like an excellent thriller, psychological thriller thing. Let's see that. And then I think we're both aligned and really wanting to veg out and do nothing while we watch The King's Man. Oh, yes. That was the other Disney that I was going to mention when you were looking at the thing. It's like, oh, and they still have the most delayed movie in the world, King's Man, coming out yes. next week. Oh, yep. it's fighting Matrix? It's a weird yeah. weekend of like, Low motion action next to Spider Man. What I think? Wow, I think that might be good counter programming because Matrix will dominate the box office next weekend. But would not be surprised if the Kingsman takes the lead for the next few weekends. Well, it'll probably be my guess for next weekend is Spider Man number one, mm-hmm. Matrix number two, Kingsman. And then the following weekend, Matrix and Kingsman probably swap. But Spider-Man's probably number one for a bit. Yeah, and I can see conversations going off. Hey, Carl, do you want to watch The Matrix? Oh, but I don't really remember what happened in the first three. I'm sure it was very philosophical. Oh, do you want to watch Kingsman? It's actually like same type, but you don't have to know. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a lot less alienating, unfortunately. Right, exactly. Well, very cool. Before, before closing, I just want to say, what a great year. This was the last episode of 2021. You posted the wrap on Instagram. 40 episodes. I think it's going to be 41 officially. And uh, looking forward to creating our new folder on our drive that says 2022 episodes of 2021. It's been a pleasure. It's been an amazing year. And see you next year. And hopefully it's 2022 and not 2022, as we've been saying on Twitter. Exactly. Hopefully. Have a great Christmas. Well, have a happy holidays. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Have some great time off. Enjoy your time with family and see you next year. Same. Bye. Bye, everyone.